were these wonderful little devices that you put all the information on and you could feed it into the computer. And those computers probably would fill uh, one of your dorm rooms. I mean, that's how big this thing was. And it won't even do what you can do with your phone now. Uh, but I figured out a way to uh, bypass the system. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what that was because I don't want to give you any ideas. But I do feel the need to confess and uh, I felt really guilty on uh, Friday, wasn't it? As you were talking to us about uh, why we come to chapel. Yeah, and I was sitting there thinking, oh man, i got to do something. So I haven't figured out what it is yet, but somehow I'm going to make uh, penance for uh, the chapels that I got credit for that I did not attend. And we've had some great uh, speakers this semester, haven't we? Yeah. yeah, we started off with Dr. McGee. She did a great job in our first chapel. And uh, Matt Henry, is he here today? Man, that guy is a ball of energy, isn't he? Oh, my goodness. I was here the day he spoke. That was a great chapel as well. And uh, we had Mark DeMichael, who's a friend of mine, here on Heritage Day. And I thought he did a great job. And Pastor Kevin, I saw him over there, uh, did a great job when he spoke uh, before homecoming. And uh, Tony Campolo a couple of weeks ago. Is he amazing? Uh, he actually spoke here in chapel when I was a student. So that gives you some idea about how old he is and maybe a little bit of an idea of how old I am too. Uh, and our own Pastor Corey. Uh, he has given us some great messages uh, this semester. But uh, we'll have to uh, figure out what the uh, means of atonement uh, will be. We'll work that out. Money. <laughs> I can help you with that. Let me just say this morning, I had uh, two directions that I wanted to go, or should say thought about going, uh, and really had to rely on the Lord to, to help me nail this down. And even as late as Monday morning, I uh, thought that maybe the other direction, after I'd kind of settled in on the one I'm going to go with this morning, uh, based on some stuff that came across my path, thought maybe I should go that way. But uh, prayed about it and felt really that, that the Lord wanted me to stick with this one. And this is a message about worry. And I know from having been a professor for several years and having been a student way back when, uh, that about this time in the semester and from having talked to some of your faculty members over the weekend, uh, this is the point in the semester where uh, our lives begin to get heavy and we begin to, be, begin to worry about things like uh, papers that maybe we should have been working on already and finals that are coming up and all those kinds of things. Uh, so this morning, what I want to focus on is fear. And we'll start with this. And Jesus said to them, Why are you fearful, you of little faith? Is fear a factor for you? Do you remember that show? Are you old enough? That, that was relatively recent, right? I always have to be careful about those illustrations. Fear factor. Yeah. And what a crazy show. I mean, can you imagine putting yourself in this box and letting them dump hissing cockroaches on you? Or fill that box up with snakes. Ooh. Professor Twining, are you here? <laughs> he thinks snakes are the greatest thing in the world. But, and they did all that for, do you remember how much they did it for? 50,000. 50, are you kidding me? That's not enough. No. Not enough. I'm not sure I'd get in the box with all those cockroaches anyway, but definitely not for $50,000. How many of you have ever been afraid? Show of hands. 
Okay, I'm going to keep mine up until they're all up because I know everybody's been afraid at least once. Okay, good. Well, I want you to start thinking about some time when you were afraid. And I'm going to ask you to do something that in a minute. But let me just share. I remember even some 30 years later now some of the things that were fearful for me when I was here as a college student. I can remember where I was standing out on the uh, Mann Student Center uh, patio uh, thinking, man, is this going to work? Am I going to be able to fit in here? I can remember, uh, as I was just talking about, situations where I was worried about, you know, I had less days left than I had papers to write. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Have you got it? That thing that caused fear for you? Okay, I want you to just close your eyes. I know that's a dangerous thing to do in chapel. Close your eyes. And just really think about that situation that caused you fear. Okay, try and relive it in your mind. Just go with it. Okay, now you can't see, you can open your eyes now. You can't see what was going on, but I could. And you can see faces begin to tense up and people kind of draw back in their seats, which is kind of a common response that we have with fear. But as followers of Jesus, fear should not be a factor for us. And Matthew 8, 23 through 27 points this out for us. And if you would turn there, if you have your Bibles, and I should have looked up the page number in the Pew Bible, but I did not do that for you. But Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. This is the passage where Jesus calms the storm, starting in verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. little editorial comment here. He was not worried. Uh, the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us! We're going to drown! Can you hear him saying it? He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely... The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And what I'd like to do is just give you a little bit of context here. uh, Because I think it's important when we look at Scripture to have some context. And this 8th chapter of Matthew has several passages. uh, One with the man with leprosy, the centurion and the servant. Passage about Peter's mother-in-law. And it kind of ends with a passage about the demon-possessed pigs. And in the center of that is this passage where Jesus calms the storm and deals with the disciples' fear. But all of those passages, other sections of that chapter are about faith. And I think what we see going on here is kind of a contrasting of fear and faith. In order to keep fear from being a factor, we need to know three things. One, fear is a phantom enemy. Two, what our response ought to be when we encounter fearful situations. And three, who we ought to acknowledge. Fear is our phantom enemy. And I am not a sound expert, but I've done a little bit of research and found out our sound people, maybe you can help me if I get messed up here, but uh, there are these things called phantom power microphones. And all that means is that there's no power in the microphone itself. There's no power in the microphone itself. It's only what comes to that microphone through the wires. And I think the analogy that we need to make here is that fear has no power in and of itself. It only has the power that we give it. 
And what I'd like to do is illustrate the kind of pointlessness of many of our fears. And not that none of our fears are founded, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit, but uh, most of our fears are unfounded. And we're going to have a children's story uh, that illustrates this point pretty well. And it's by that well-known children's author, Dr. Seuss. How many of you went to Seussical? Yeah? Okay, you can give it up for Seussical. Yeah, they did a great job of that. And I've invited the cat in the hat to be with us this morning. And uh, he's going to share, what was I scared of? Thank you very much. Well, I was walking in the night, and I saw nothing scary, for I have never been afraid of anything, not very. Then I was deep within the woods when suddenly I spied them. I saw a pair of pale green pants with nobody inside them. I wasn't scared, but yet I stopped. What could those pants be there for? What could a pair of pants at night be standing in the air for? And then they moved. Those empty pants, they kind of started jumping. And then my heart, I must admit, it kind of started thumping. So I got out, I got out, I got out fast as fast as I could go, sir. I wasn't scared, but pants like that I did not care for, no, sir. After that, a week went by, and one dark night in Greenwich, I had to do an errand there and fetch some Greenwich spinach. Well, I had fetched the spinach, and I was starting back through town, when suddenly those pants raced round a corner, and they almost knocked me down. I lost my Greenwich spinach, but I didn't even care. I ran for home. Believe me, I had really had a scare. Now, bicycles were never meant for pale green pants to ride them, especially spooky pale green pants with nobody inside them. And the next night, I was fishing for doubt trout on Roover River. When those pants came rowing, to rowing toward me, I really started to shiver. And by now, I was so frightened that, I'll tell you, but I hate to, I screamed and rowed away and lost my hook and line and bait, too. I ran and found a brickle bush and bid myself away. I got brickles in my britches, but I stayed there anyway. I stayed all night. The next night, too, I'd still be there, no doubt. But I had to do an errand, so the next night I went out. I had to do an errand, had to pick a peck of snide in a dark and gloomy snide field that was almost nine miles wide. I said, I do not fear those pants that with nobody inside them. I said and said and said those words. I said them. But I liked them. Then I reached inside a snide bush, and the next thing that I knew, I felt my hand touch someone, and I'll bet that you know who. And there I was, caught in the snide, and in that dreadful place, those spooky, empty pants and I were staring face to face. I yelled for help, I screamed, I shrieked, I howled, I yelled, I cried, Oh, save me from these pale green pants with nobody inside. But then a strange thing happened. Why, those pants began to cry. Those pants began to tremble. They were just as scared as I. I never heard such whimpering, and I began to see that I was just as strange to them as they were strange to me. I put my arm around their waist and sat right down beside them. I calmed them down. Poor empty pants with nobody inside them. And now we meet quite often, those empty pants and I. And we never shake or tremble. We both smile and we say hi. Thank you, Jared. Most of what we fear is just like those pale green pants. There's nothing inside it. 
We have really five categories of fear. Fright, which is that you know, basic physical response. Guilt can cause some fear because of troubled conscience. Uh, insecurity, you know, we have feelings of inadequacy. Uh, dread, you know, those feelings like, you know, do I really matter? Is what I'm doing important? And then worry, which is kind of my focus today, which is you know, sometimes it's just those worst imaginings that we come up with uh, that cause us more problems than the actual thing that's happening to us itself. Earl Nightingale, a, a noted a motivational speaker, said, worry is a dense fog that clouds our vision. At this point, I'd like to share with you some statistics on worry, and I think we're going to have those up on the screen for you, but the 40% of the things that we worry about never happen. Never happen. 30% of the things we worry about have already happened. 12% of the things we worry about relate to the opinions of others. And none of those things can we do anything about. And so it's kind of pointless to worry about them. Only about 8% of the things uh, that we actually worry about are legitimate worries and things that we could actually do something about. And really what we should do is not worry about them, but put our energy into uh, solving the issues rather than worrying about them. And I found an interesting quote from uh, Dr. Suzanne Gaddis on the Internet. Uh, she's a graduate PhD from FSU. And uh, she says, several recent studies indicate that over 80%, 85% of all the worry we worry about never happens. So you can see statistics vary based on who you talk to. And I think I recently heard that about 73.9% of all statistics are made up on the spot. <laughs> anyway, 85% of those things never happen. These include worries over our past, which never can be changed, worries over which we have no control, irrational concerns or fears, and future worries. She goes on to say, worrying never affects the final outcome. Think about it. Have you ever worried a problem away? As we all know, the answer is no. There is an excessive negative impact that can have on our bodies from worry. Chemicals released during extended periods of worry wreak havoc on our physical condition. Symptoms ranging from headaches to high blood pressure. Chronic worriers, this will make you want to worry, chronic worriers are prone to heart conditions and as a general rule are not too much fun to be around. Fear and faith, two opposites. Fear is our phantom enemy. Now let's take a look at what our response should be when we encounter situations with fear. You know what the three basic responses are to fear situations? Three Fs. Flight, fight, freeze, yeah. Which is the most common? Flight, right? Because we all want to live to fight another day. Uh, and in the, verse 25 of the passage we read earlier, we see what the disciples' response was. Disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. So rather than you know, trying to row their way out of there, they didn't do it. And, you know, I often wonder why they were so afraid. Uh, about two and a half years ago, I was able to go to the Holy Land and uh, was there at the Sea of Galilee, which is probably where this situation occurred. And it's not much bigger, actually. I think it's just a little bit smaller, if I remember the numbers right, uh, than Lake Winnipesaukee. Any of you are familiar with Lake Winnipesaukee up in New Hampshire? Yeah. Anyway, uh, Lake Winnipesaukee, however, is full of islands. I think over 200 of them. But the Sea of Galilee is pretty empty and open. There's no place on that 
And really, it is just a big lake. Uh, there's no place on it that you can't see the shoreline. So I'm wondering why they were so fearful in this situation. But maybe it had something to do with the kind of boat they were in or uh, the high winds. And I did get to see one afternoon as the winds changed direction and came in over the mountains from the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, it did get pretty choppy there. But they were worried. And I want to share a fear factor boat story with you now. I don't know if, how many of you saw very many episodes of that show, but this is one of the few that I did see. And it was an episode where they put two speedboats side by side and raced them across a lake. And if you were the contestant, you had to get on the platform on one boat. And you had to jump to the other boat, which was moving at the same speed. I thought that would get a little bigger response. Can you imagine trying to do that? How many would try it? Eh, maybe about 20% of you. Okay. Well, our fear comes out in our nonverbal expression. And I figured out before the people ever left the platform if they were going to make it to the other platform. How do you think I could tell? By the fear that was shown in their body. You know, if they got over here and they went up you know, and kind of held back and jumped, there was no way they were going to make it. But if they just went headlong and jumped right to the other platform, they made it every time. So what is it we should be doing when we encounter situations of fear? You know, what is it that we're not doing because we're caught in fearful situations? And really, our responses should be more like what is called for in Scripture. Uh, Philippians 4.6 tells us, Do not be anxious. And in parentheses, mine says, Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 1 Peter 5.7 tells us, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So our response to fear should be casting that fear, that anxiety, on God. Third, we should acknowledge God when we're in situations of fear. Where is our fear directed? Now, do we fear God as we should? Or do we fear the things of this world? We serve the master of the universe, and yet we often live afraid. We often live afraid. Psalm 23. I'm going to try and create a situation for you. I'm going to give you a slightly different version. The Lord is my shepherd, so I'm going to worry myself sick about this. Are you with me? I mean, if we really believe that the Lord is our shepherd, why would we worry about anything? I mean, do we not believe that he has control of what goes on in our lives? And really, it's kind of a situation where we experience, uh, actually what Tony Campolo talked to us a couple of weeks ago about, cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance is that uneasy feeling that results when our beliefs don't line up with our actions or with, when we're presented with some new information, it doesn't line up with what we already believe. And I'm gonna, second, I'm going to ask them to show you a clip from one of Aesop's fables. It's kind of a claymation version. And I looked through YouTube to try and find something that I thought would work and couldn't find the perfect one, but this one hit my heart because it kind of took me back to the day. Uh, when I was a young boy, uh, on Sunday mornings before church, I would get up and watch Davy and Goliath. You guys know what that is? Really? Wow. Where have you seen it? TV Land? All right. 
Anyway, I used to watch Davy and Goliath every Sunday morning. It was a, a little claymation show that was done by the Lutheran Church. Uh, they always opened with uh, him playing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And anyway, you know, let's see if I can do my uh, Goliath impersonation. Oh, Davy. You with me? But when I saw this claymation version of Aesop's fable, The Fox and the Grapes, I thought, man, I just got to show that. It just takes me back. And the story goes, the fox is uh, out walking one day and he sees these grapes and he jumps for them and he can't quite reach them. They're so tasty, he tries to lick them, but he can't get them. And he keeps trying and jumps again. And then eventually the fox uh, gives up. In this claymation version, he crashes and burns. But uh, The situation is, he says at the end, those grapes must have been sour anyway. And that's where the term sour grapes actually comes from. But he says that because he's experiencing this uneasy feeling of cognitive dissonance. And that's the feeling that we should have if we are not acknowledging God when we encounter situations of fear. Instead of living with that dissonance, we should heed the word of Scripture. Psalms 34.4 says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5.6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And Isaiah 41.10 tells us, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, or don't worry. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. And help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What is fear keeping us from doing today? We don't have to let that happen. If we understand the phantom nature of fear, if we understand what our response to fear should be, if we acknowledge God as our source of strength when we encounter fear, we don't have to live that way. I want to share two thoughts with you in closing. Uh, a couple of lines from a uh, famous Jamaican philosopher, Robert Nesta, more commonly known as Bob Marley. I hope I don't get in trouble for that one. He said, when you worry, your face will frown, and that will bring everybody down. Every life will have some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. Don't happy, don't worry, be happy. And Viktor Frankl, probably none of you know who he is, but he was a survivor of the death camps in Nazi Germany. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book, in the first half anyway, he tells the story of his experiences uh, with the Nazi death camps. And he goes on and on about all the things that he lost in life and all the situations that could have caused him immense fear. And I can't tell you the whole story today, but the short of it is, the conclusion he came to as a result of this experience in life was that we have a choice about how we're going to deal with the things that life brings us. And I think we have a choice about how we're going to handle those situations where we might encounter fear. And if we choose to see God as our shepherd, fear 
does not have to be a factor for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your infinite goodness to us. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who's in control. And Lord, we give to you today control of our lives.